Take your Bibles this morning, turn them with me please to Psalm 85. Psalm 85 we're going to look at just a little bit. Before we get there though, um, how many of you believe that Jesus is King of Kings? How many of you believe this morning that He alone is worthy, truly worthy of our worship? Now why is that? Why do we believe that? Well, we know the truth, and the truth that comes straight from God's precious Word, the Bible, it tells us that, first of all, Jesus is creator. Can you say amen? Um, John chapter number one, verse one, number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says in verse three of John one, and there was anything made that was made unless it was made by him. So Jesus is creator God from the beginning. See, what I want you to realize and understand, never forget this. Jesus didn't just become God in Matthew. He was always God even before Genesis. In eternity past, he was God. In eternity present, he's still God. And he will always be God in eternity future. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is creator God. You need to know that. But now, not only was he creator God there in the beginning, but you need to understand as well, he's also our Savior. The Bible says he took on flesh. Can you say amen? He was born as a man so that he might do for men what men couldn't do for themselves. And he went to a cross and took the punishment for my sin and the punishment for your sin. And he said, okay, I'm going to pay your penalty. I'm going to take uh, your punishment for your wrong. Now you can go free. He tasted death for every man, the Bible says. That means he died for you, whoever you are. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what's the Bible telling us? Jesus is Creator. Jesus is Savior. That's who He is. And so much more. But I also want you to think about what He's done. How do you know by His grace, He's forgiven me? He has set me free from the bondage of sin. The Bible says I was once a slave to sin, but now whom the Son sets free is free indeed. <laughs> He's my Savior. He has set me free. Has He set you free this morning? Do you know your sins have been forgiven? Do you know you've placed trust in Jesus as Savior and been born again? Oh, folks, listen. It's good to know Jesus. I'm so very thankful for Him. Not just for who He is, that's true, but also for what He's done. He's done for me what I couldn't do and what He continues to do each and every day. How do you know as a child of God, the same grace that once saved us keeps us? Right. Folks, I can't earn my salvation. I never could. Because I can't earn it, I can't keep it. The same grace that saves me keeps me daily. I'm amazed by His matchless grace. He's good this morning. And there's no one else worthy of praise except Him. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is worthy, worthy, worthy of my praise and your praise. So let's always take advantage of the great privilege we have of praising Him. Amen? Thank you, brother, for that. I sure 
appreciate our worship team leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship this morning. Take your Bibles there, look in Psalm 85, and I want to remind you of something that we all know to be true. In just about two days, we're going to celebrate the 247th birthday of the United States of America. Now, um, in comparison to nations all over the world, America is relatively young. I mean, we're kind of the new kid on the block in, in a lot of ways, and, and it's not really been that long as far as nations go that America was founded, that America came into being. And so what I want you to understand, though, in that 247 years, in that very short time, how many of you know that America has been blessed more, 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 more I won't say more better, that's probably good, <laughs> but greater greater than any nation in the history of the world. We have had and do have now the greatest standard of living the world has ever experienced. Now, if you don't believe me, all you really got to do is just put your attention toward our southern border. Take a look down there. And what we have on our southern border are literally droves of people lined up risking life and limb from all over the world, trying their best to get into this country. They're risking death, risking imprisonment, risking persecution, risking all kinds of things just getting here. Now, why are they doing that? Well, I believe it's because they want to experience the blessing that America has for everyone here. America offers blessing for America has been blessed. Can you say it here? See, these people understand and realize the possibility of them going to bed with a full belly and waking up under a roof that's sound is greater in America than anywhere else in all of the world. Do you know that? Sometimes I think we're so blessed we don't realize just how blessed we are. We're kind of spoiled a little bit. I really, I really think that's the case. We don't know how the rest of the world lives. All of these other people certainly know it because that's where they're coming from. And they want to come here because they realize and with the opportunity that, that America offers them, they will be able to have the life they're dreaming of if they're willing to work for it. America has truly been blessed Immensely, I love um, 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 Ben Carson, one of my favorite people on the face of the earth. Ben Carson said that if you are, are, are just, just by being born in America, you've already won the lottery. And he's right. Why? Because we all experience the blessing America has to offer. And the blessing America has to offer is, is here for us because God himself has blessed America. That's what you need to understand. That's what we've got to know. Now, we must ask ourselves, why has God blessed us like he has blessed us? I want you to think about this. Is it because of our natural resources? Is it because we have been blessed with so many uh, natural resources, the abundance of those things that we have received the, the blessing of God. Is that what makes America so great? Is that what makes America worth everybody coming to it? I, I was thinking about that this week, and we truly do have an abundance of natural resources. We've got flowing rivers and tall trees and mountains full of coal and, and the earth full of oil, and, and all of that's true in America. But if I look around the globe, I see other places that have natural resources just like we have them, but they're not experiencing the blessing that America has experienced. 
I was reading just this past week an article that was written by Roger Batson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Roger Batson, but Roger Batson was actually an early American economist. And he was having a discussion with a South American president years ago. And this is kind of how it went. He was talking to this president and he asked uh, this South American president, he said, why did, did he feel that North America seems to have prospered and been blessed more than South America, even though South America really has the same abundant natural resources that North America has? Pretty good question. Listen to what this president said. He said, those who came to our shores, meaning the shores of South America, I like this, I love how he puts it. Those who came to our shores came seeking gold. He said, those who came to your shores, meaning the shores of North America, came seeking God. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference. Why have we been blessed like we've been blessed. I think this South American president knew full well. He understood the importance. He understood what it meant that the people who founded this country came seeking the Lord. They came seeking to please God, to honor God, to worship God, and they came wanting to spread the good news of the gospel all over the globe. Let me tell you what I believe. What I know to be true. I believe the idea of America was placed in the hearts of our founding fathers by none other than God Himself. I believe America has been blessed like it's been blessed for the advancement of the Christian faith. I believe it was ultimately founded for the advancement of the Christian faith. Now I know in the current culture in which we live and with all the revisionists trying to rewrite history, a lot of people may not believe that today. But let me prove it to you. I can prove it to you because I've read history myself and I know what those early founding fathers actually said, what they believed. How many of you have ever heard of the Mayflower Compact? By a show of hands, anybody ever heard of it? It was actually a mission statement that was written out and signed by all of the pilgrims who landed at Plymouth Rock. Now listen to what they said in the Mayflower Compact. I thought this was, uh, this was pretty amazing. This was actually the purpose they said uh, they came to the United States for. They said they, uh, for the glory of God first and foremost and for the advancement of the Christian faith. So could we say by the mission statement they gave there when they first landed those first pilgrims, that they came here for the purpose to advance the Christian faith across the globe. They came for the purpose of the sharing of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. You don't hear that much today, but it's the truth. Go and read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You go look it up. Now, not only did they say that in the very beginning there at Plymouth Rock, but all throughout the inception of America, you're going to see these great men of faith living out their faith and writing about their faith and founding this country, listen to me now, on the foundation of the Christian faith and the Word of God. That was certainly true with the Declaration of Independence. We're about to celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence in two days. Now listen to what they said, what they declared in this declaration. Watch what it says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their Creator. I love that. That's very important. That's foundational. What are these men saying? 
They're saying they believe in a creator God. Can you say it again? They're saying they believe what Genesis says in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. They're saying they don't believe that man is some kind of cosmic coincidence that happened as a result of a long time and some accident that, that took place and spurned life. No, what they're saying is they believe in a creator God who created mankind with a purpose. And that purpose is to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. That's what they're saying. And they said because God is a creator God, and He has purpose for mankind, they believe that this creator has endowed us or given us certain unalienable rights. They go on to say the right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now this is very important. Because what are they actually telling us? Well, what they're saying, they, they don't believe government gives rights to man, but God gives rights to man. They're putting the authority not with government, but with God. They're saying they believe government doesn't give rights, but governments are, are only there to protect the rights that God gives. And then they wrote out a whole constitution telling us about the rights we have as American citizens. How do you understand? We do not live in a democracy. Democracy is the form of government by which we elect our officials. But what we actually live in is a constitutional republic. And that's very important for us to realize. Let me tell you why. Because that, that constitution, that set of laws that were uh, enacted and voted upon by American people, you need to understand is your rights as a citizen. That's a powerful thing. Very powerful thing. And these men realize God gave the rights, government protects the rights, states the rights. They had it right. <laughs> I don't know why we're trying to make it wrong today, but we are. So you need to know that our government, America itself, was founded upon the principles of the precious Word of God. If you believe that, say amen. It's founded for the purpose, ultimately, for the glory of God and, yes, the advancement of the Christian faith. Now, we're in no way, has anybody ever said you have to be a Christian to live in America? That's not what it's about. What, what they were saying and what I'm still saying, America offers you the opportunity to believe in whoever you choose to believe in. But we need to understand it was set up to govern a Christian people. Well, how do you know that, Brother Israel? I know what James Madison said, who was the architect of the Constitution itself and the fourth president of the United States. Listen to what he said. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the, ca the capacity of each and all of us to sustain ourselves and govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. What's he saying? He's saying again, God and His truth has authority over everything else. And the system of government that's been set up 
cannot function like it needs to function unless people govern themselves first and foremost to a higher moral standard. That's what he's talking about. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because I want you to realize God has blessed us because this nation was founded upon His principles. That's why we have enjoyed the highest standard of living the world has ever known. John Quincy Adams said the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected into one indissoluble bond the principles of government and the principles of Christianity. Amazing. Do not allow the revisionist of history to tear down the foundations of this great country. Don't you do it. Seek out the truth for yourself. Like I'm telling you, don't listen to what I have to say. Don't just trust in this. You go today and check out what I'm saying. If you want my notes, I'll give you my notes. I want you to see that the founding fathers of this nation were Christian men and founded this country among Christian principles. Fifty-five men of the framers of the Constitution were born-again believers, professing Christians. It's very important we understand this. Now, if we have been blessed because of the truth that America was founded upon Christian principles, then let me tell you what else is also true. The flip side of the coin is this. We take ourselves out from under the hand of God's blessing when we choose to forfeit that which we were founded upon. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing right now in this great country. I still believe we live in the greatest country upon the face of the earth. And I'm proud to be an American and you should be as well. You ought to be thankful that God has blessed you to have been born in this country. That's a powerful thing. That's an amazing thing. But I also want you to know we need a, a Holy Spirit field revival that shakes the foundations of this country again. And without that, there is no hope. Without that, we will never experience the America we once knew. You say, brother, what, what do you mean what we once knew? Well, folks, the, the world I see today is almost unrecognizable from the world I remember when I graduated high school. And that ain't been but 25 years ago. And, it, and I want you to think about this even. Think about five years ago. Do you see how fast we're sliding down the slippery slope? The Bible says this in the book of Psalms also. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When we trust in the Lord God Almighty, when we seek the Lord God Almighty, when we do what we do to honor, glorify, and please the Lord God Almighty, then we can expect God's blessing. But when we choose to forfeit the foundations upon which this country was founded upon, we also forfeit the blessing that God readily gives those who trust in Him. That's what we got to realize. And so there must be a turning. There must be something 
that happens in the hearts and lives of individuals that causes them to want to do what is pleasing unto the Lord. And that's where revival comes in. See, this isn't, uh, America is in the same place, really, that ancient Israel was once in. They had been blessed by God. God had done a great work in their heart, in their life, in their nation. God had continually poured out His blessing upon them over and over and over and over again in spite of their sin, in spite of their wrongdoing and turning their backs on Him. God always in His faithfulness did for them what was needed. But the people had forgotten God. And folks, I believe that's exactly where we find ourselves at right now. We hear a lot about uh, God bless America. Folks, God has blessed America. It's time for America to bless God. It's time for us to set our face Upon the Lord. So this morning I want us to see right here in Psalm 85. Just really just one verse. Psalm 85. And look down at verse number 6. The Bible says this. Wilt thou not revive us again. That thy people. Watch this now. May rejoice in thee. So let me ask you something. When you look at the world that we live in today. The world that's on your um, evening news and in your morning newspaper, the world that you read about and see on TV, does, does that world look to you as though it needs reviving? Does to me. I was reading just last week how some of the leading government officials in the America that we live in today actually are uh, believers in and proponents of birthday abortion. Do you know what that is? Now I am very thankful that God has answered the prayers of His people and Roe versus Wade has been repealed. Aren't you thankful for that? Praise God for that. I am thankful that um, that scourge that has long been a thorn in the side of America is no longer there. Praise God for that. I'm thankful that God has worked in that. But there's still a long way to go. Let me tell you what I thought. I thought that whether you were pro-life or you were pro-choice, and you can be whatever you choose to be, this is America, but I thought at least we all agreed that when a baby is physically born into this world, that then that's a life. And that baby has rights. But there are some in our country in leadership positions right now who believe otherwise. And they believe that a baby can be aborted even on the day that it is born. Outside of the mother's womb. Folks, we've lost our way. We live in a world today where federal tax dollars through the um, education system that's paid out of my pocket and your pocket, federal tax dollars goes to the funding of what's called Drag Queen Story Hour, where drag queens go and read to our children in public schools and public libraries. That's happening all over the America we live in right now. And it sickens me. And it should sicken you. 
Do not allow that which God calls an abomination to become commonplace to you. Do not allow that which God calls sin to become normal to you. Because that's exactly what the world wants. That's exactly what the enemy wants. But that's the world we live in. I was talking to a dear brother from Costa Rica that we were on the mission field with just last summer in the past week. And he was asking me to pray for him because he was going into a public school and was going to get to preach the gospel to 350 students. And he was praying that God would have his way and will and use him and, and work in that hearts and lives be changed. And I sat there as I was typing back to that brother, broken hearted because folks, we will allow drag queens in to read to our children. But here in America, we can't go in and do what they're doing in Costa Rica, which is preach the gospel. That ought to bother you. That ought to burden you. This is the world we live in. So let me ask you, do we need revival? Do we need a move of God? Let me ask you this. Are you praying for a move of God? If you are a parent, you better be praying for a move of God. If you are a grandparent, you better be praying for a move of God. Because folks, I can't imagine what this world is going to be like for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. If the Lord tarries, I can't imagine what they're going to see in 25 more years. If we keep going the way we're going. We need a revival. And the psalmist here is asking, Lord, will you not revive us again? Will you not do what's necessary to turn our face back to you? And that's my question. That's my prayer. And I hope it's your prayer this morning. Now, let me tell you something, folks. I'm not a pessimist. I am not today trying to be negative Nancy. I can't stand being around negative Nancy. How about y'all? Negative Nancy always tells you what's wrong and never what's right. Negative Nancy always brings up the problem but never a solution. Negative Nancy never sees the silver lining in any cloud. Just dark and gloomy all the time. I'm not trying to be negative Nancy. I'm not a pessimist and I'm not even an optimist. Let me tell you what I am. I am a biblical realist. And I see that there is nothing in the Word of God that says we can't have a revival that shakes the very foundations of this country right now in America if we will only choose to turn our face to heaven. Repent of our sin and let God be God. Amen? That can happen for me. That can happen for you. I pray and hope that it happens right here in our church. I pray that God begins stirring the hearts and minds of His people and sets our hearts aflame in such a way that the devil can't put it out. Can you say amen? That's what we need. That's what I pray for. That's what the psalmist was praying for right here. So yes, I believe there is possibility of revival. No doubt about it. Look in Isaiah chapter 59. And look what the scripture says there. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Brother, if you will please put that on the screen for me. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. How many of y'all believe that? that? The Bible is saying there that God is still able to save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. 
God is willing to listen to those who choose to cry out to Him. Look in the second verse. But your iniquities had separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. The Bible is saying there that God chooses not to listen when you continually dwell in your sin. Are you seeing that? So what do we need to do? Well, we've got to get the sin out of our life. We've got to confess our sin for what it is. We've got to come into agreement with what God says. We say, okay, God, this is what I was doing, the way I was going. I know it's wrong because it don't match what you say and what you told me to do. And now I repent and confess that I was wrong. I'm turning from my way. And Lord, now, Lord, I'm heading your way. And God says, look, I'll listen when you get the sin out of the way. That's what he's telling us there. So there is possibility for revival in our nation, in our home, in our church, in our individual lives. The possibility of revival is there. We can't talk about the possibility of revival until we talk about the people of revival. Look in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. Brother, put that up for me. 2 Chronicles 7 and the 14th verse. Many of you know this scripture, one of my absolute favorite in all the Word of God. What a powerful promise it is. 7.14, please. Now watch what it says. He says, if my people, who are the people he's speaking of? He's talking about the people of faith. Now you said, brother, does, does this verse, um, does it, what does it mean for us today. I mean, that was written to the Jews all the way back then. Well, that was the people of faith then. How many of you know the blood-bought, born-again people of God? We are the people of faith today. So yes, I believe this verse applies to people of faith now, just like it applied to people of faith then. If my people, the blood-bought, born-again children of the living God, he says, if you, my people, watch this now, shall humble yourselves. You need to see the people that God recognizes, first of all, His people. But then you need to see the pride that God hates. He says, if you will humble yourself. The Bible gives us a list in the book of Proverbs of seven things that God hates. He says He hates a proud look. Why? Because a proud look Reveals a proud heart. James 4 and 6 says, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Let me tell you something, folks. We ought to love what God loves, but we should also hate what God hates. And God hates selfish, sinful human pride. Now I say that to those sitting in the halls of Congress, to those sitting in the White House, and also to those sitting in the church house. God hates selfish, sinful human pride. I say it to the Baptists because a lot of times Baptists are so prideful they can strut sitting down. That's true. I say it to all the people of God. We must humble ourselves and realize 
Without Jesus, we have no hope. We must humble ourselves at Mount Zion Baptist Church and realize we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we can do absolutely nothing without Christ. We need to humble ourselves as the people of God and remember, if we get what we deserve, we get a devil's hell, each and every one of us. We as the people of God need to climb down off our spiritual high horse and stop looking down our nose at anybody else. Because we realize, except by the grace of God, there go I. God hates a prideful spirit. He gives grace to the humble. And resist the proud. Notice the people God recognizes. Notice the pride that God hates. But now watch this. He says then, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, there it is again, just like in Isaiah, then will I hear. Also notice, God's ear is turned toward his people always. I love that. What he's saying is, I'm listening. If you'll speak to me, if you'll humble yourselves and turn from your sin, repent of your sin, I'm listening for you. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. See the possibility of revival. Also, we need to see the people of revival. See, folks, the truth is, it's really up to us. The responsibility don't really lie in the White House or in the State House. The responsibility lies in the church house. My people humble themselves. My people turn from their wicked ways. My people seek my faith. Well, what does it mean to seek his faith? To seek God's face is to worship him and serve him just because of who he is. To seek God's hand means we serve him because of what he does. Amen? His hand is where blessing comes from. His hand is where provision comes from. His hand is where protection comes from. And all of that's well and good, but I want to tell you, he says here, you need to get to the place as the people of God where you're not seeking me, you're not serving me, you're not worshiping me just because of what I can do for you, but you're seeking me, you're serving me, you're worshiping me because of who I am. I am holy and righteous and good. I am gracious and loving and forgiving I am King of kings and Lord of lords. I am holy, 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 and I am worthy, worthy, worthy of your worship. That's what he's saying. Seek my face. I invite you. Brethren, I beseech you, like Paul would say, seek his face. Let's seek his face. Let's turn from our sin. Let's humble our hearts. Let's call out unto the Lord. And let's trust Him to heal our land.
possibility of revival, the people of revival. But I also want you to see in Psalm 85 the product of revival. The last part of verse number 6, Psalm 85, verse 6. Watch what it tells us. Wilt thou not revive us again? That my people might rejoice in thee. What's he saying? When true revival comes to my heart as an individual, or to a church, or to a family, or to a nation, when true revival comes, when God really does a move, when God really moves and does a work, when that happens, the product of that is that the people will rejoice in the Lord. They will find their joy in Him. There is absolutely nothing that compares to the joy of the Lord. When you know you are right with God, when you know you're in the center of His will, when you know you have that right relationship with Him which speaks of right fellowship with Him, when you know that, the joy that floods our soul is just what the Bible says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Folks, you'll never find joy things the world has to offer. You'll never find joy in your job. You may find happiness for a while, but you won't find real joy. You'll never find joy, listen to me, true joy, even in your family. Family is important. And I love family. And I'm thankful for family. But even in family relations, you're never going to find the joy that's being spoken of here. You'll never find joy and just merely being a member of a church. I'm talking about just signing a card and going through a battery. I'm talking about you only find joy, true joy, with a right relationship with Jesus. Do you have one? Do you know that you know you've been born again in the family of God? Do you know Jesus has saved your soul? Do you have peace that passes all understanding? Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit back to you as the comforter, he's going to give you my peace. Not, not peace like the world gives. He's going to give you my peace. That's when you have peace. You ain't supposed to have peace. That's when you have peace in the times of Tribulation and trial, that's when you have peace and good times and bad times. You just got peace that is forever with you. Do you know that? I want to quote one of my favorite men of all time, Brother Kitty Cagle. He said something to me one time, I'll never forget. He said, Brothers, the Lord never saved anybody to make them miserable. If you are living in misery with no peace, you must ask yourself, do I truly know Jesus? Listen, for Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Do you know him? My people can rejoice in me 
you can rejoice and find joy in Jesus when you have that right relationship with him. Now you say, brother, I know I've been born again. I know I've been saved. But there's certain things in my life that I know are not pleasing unto the Lord. Well, guess what? I've got some great news for you. The Bible says confess that sin. And when you confess it and come into agreement with God, when you repent and turn from that, you know what the Bible tells us? God will forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Like I said before, the same grace that initially saves us keeps us. Where are you at with the Lord? I had to answer that question in myself, with myself, before I came out this morning. And now in this time of invitation, it's time for you to answer that question. Where are you with the Lord today? I don't want you to put your mind on anybody else. I don't want you thinking about, well, I wish so-and-so was here because they needed this message. No, no. God had you here for a reason. God has you here right now, in this moment, in this time, for his purpose. It is through the providence of God that we are all gathered this morning. You are hearing this message this morning. Do you know the Lord? And if you do know the Lord, you know you've been born again. Are you serving Him like you should? Do you want real revival in your life, in your family, in your church, in your nation? You can have it. You can have it. But it must be done God's way. Humble yourself this morning. Turn from your wicked way this morning. Seek his face this morning. And see if God will do what he's promised to do. Everybody stand again.